Well, good morning. My name is Ryan Moore, and it's good to be with you all this Palm Sunday. We will be taking a break. That seems kind of hot. Is that loud? If I see you getting up and leaving, I'll know. We're going to be taking a break from our study in Hebrews to look at a a text pertaining to this Sunday's uh, season, which is Palm Sunday, and we'll be in the book of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 to 11. Before I read this, um, it's easy to get into a text or to look at it and to be distracted by many things that are happening. And this is one of those texts. There are a lot of great things that are happening here. What I want to do for you this morning is not to miss the obvious, which is just that Jesus comes to us. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is the best and greatest thing that you have going for you today. Do not miss that as we read this this morning. Let's give our attention now to the reading of God's word found in the book of Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, the Mount of Olives, Olives, Then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foil of a beast of burden. Verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the tree and spread them on the road too. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let me pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pause and ask that you do a miracle, as we often say, and by miracle that you would soften hardened hearts. And so we pray this morning that you would give us your spirit, that you would Open our eyes and our ears that we may see and hear things otherwise that we could not. That you would prepare our hearts to receive the word such as a seed goes out into good soil and produces a fruit that we would leave here too, changed people. We ask this all in your son's name. Amen. In 2002, singer-songwriter Ryan Adams did a concert at the infamous Ryman Auditorium. Um, If you're a concert aficionado, you know that the Ryman is a place that you want to go at some point in time in your life to see a show. It's where the Grand Ole Opry used to be. It's a fantastic venue. And, uh, but this particular show was interesting because, um, as you might even be asking yourself right now, did he say Ryan Adams or did he say Brian Adams, the Canadian rocker that we maybe are more familiar with? Well, one such fan was well aware of the two uh, plays on the names of Ryan Adams, the concert that we're talking about, versus Brian Adams, the 80s and early 90s Canadian rocker, which at one point in the show, he thought it would be funny to just start shouting to Ryan Adams, summer of 69. 
Summer 69, play it. And of course, as you were laughing, this is what it was supposed to be, a joke. But, but Ryan Adams didn't find it that funny. As a matter of fact, the article uh, that would come out the next day described the scene like this. At first, there was an exchange of expletives from Ryan in between songs to the fan who had paid his $30 to come watch him play. All right. Then he demanded that the house lights come on in the middle of the show in order to find the person who was saying that. And he said, I will not play another note until this fan is removed from this building. All right. It's funny, the article ends with the uh, general manager of the Ryman, Pam Matthews at the time, uh, had stopped the fan and apologized profusely and allowed the fan to go back in the show, which at that point, I'm not sure that I would want to, but um, the fan did keep Ryan Adams 30 bucks. At first listen, when we hear this, uh, you know, this sounds over the top. This sounds ridiculous. How thin-skinned can you be? Right To come in, to do a show, you are famous, uh, people are paying their money to see you, it's a joke. Can't you take a joke? You know, if I were Ryan Adams and, and I heard a fan saying this, I would just go right into the song and the crowd would probably love it and then that would be it. But that's not obviously what he did. While this seems extreme to you, let me ask you this question. How much does it matter that people get you? How much does it matter to you or how important is it that you receive, let's just call it the simple recognition for what you do in life and who you are? How important is that? More important, more, more to the point, all of us have that one area of self that our pride is so protective of, right? And when that area of self, whatever it is for you this morning... Whenever that area of self begins to be challenged, whenever uh, something comes in to perhaps threaten that, your pride sort of chimes in and says, hey, 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 wait a minute here. I deserve more than this. Do you know who I am? Anybody? Do you know what I do for a living? Do you know what my brain is worth, the type of education I've had? Do you know how much money I make? Do you know what I put up with on a daily basis? There are a lot of people saying that. For some of us, we want to receive the recognition that comes from years and years of working hard to establish a a certain reputation, right? And so for a lot of us, it's like, you know what? I don't care about the fame. I don't care about the money. But what I do care about is that people know that I am a man of integrity, what happens to you when that's challenged, if that's you? What happens to you when somebody calls you a liar, calls you a cheat, right? I'll leave you to your own answers uh, to work that out. Here's the point. You might not stop the show and demand that the lights come on, as it were, but in the right circumstances, you'd think about it. You'd think about it. All of us think we deserve more in some shape, form, or fashion, we think we deserve more than what we are getting. And all of us have those moments where we, if not out loud to ourselves, say, hey, do you know who I am? I deserve more than this. I deserve more than this. I start here this morning because as we look at this story on Palm Sunday, 
Jesus is coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. He, along with thousands of other Jews, are making this pilgrimage. But Jesus decides to come into Jerusalem, as we just read, in a very unique way that says some pretty profound things about who he is. Things like, I am the king that you have been waiting for. I am the king that is going to put this world to rights. I am the king that is coming to bring peace to this land. Do you know who I am? Do you know what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to give my life for you. Do you know that? Do you know these things? Do you know what I have come to do? In other words, if there is anybody who has ever lived on this earth that actually has the right to look at you and say, do you know who I am, that I deserve more than this? It is Jesus Christ. Jesus has every right, as we will see, to demand more as our true king riding into Jerusalem this day. He is the one who has the right to stop the show, to turn the lights on, to demand that all of us out here get it right before I take another step into Jerusalem. But he doesn't. He actually refuses that right. And he does it because he comes to you and he comes to me as we are. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. And what I want us to see this Palm Sunday as Jesus rides into town is that the reason he comes to us anyway is because he, in fact, is the true, humble king that he claims to be. And because he is the true, humble king that he claims to be, he loves to show us mercy and he comes to bring us peace. And those are the two things we're going to look at this morning. He loves to show us mercy and he comes to bring us peace. Let's look at the first one. He comes to show us mercy. Starting at the end of this story, which is where I'm beginning, we see that the crowds are asking this question, who is this? Who is this? And it's the right question, but their answer, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee, is found wanting. In fact, it's actually very inadequate. A common question I receive now and and then is, you know, what is it like how does, it, how does it feel to be the father of four girls? And all I can really do is just sort of stare at him and just kind of say, fine, fi- I'm fine, we're fine, they are fine. I'm, you know, it's not that what I'm saying isn't true. It's just that it's completely inadequate. How do I really answer that question properly? The same thing is going on here with the crowds. Jesus is a prophet, but he is more than a prophet. Back in chapter 16, Jesus asked Peter, Peter, who do you say that I am? And what does Peter say? He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Certainly, that is a little bit more than just prophet from Nazareth. It would be like saying, mom and dad, I am bringing a friend to come to dinner tonight. He likes pizza and basketball and his name is LeBron. Some people call him King James. He likes basketball True, yet completely inadequate. Prophet from Nazareth, completely inadequate. Jesus is so much more than a prophet. He is the son of God. He is the long-awaited Messiah. He is, as Paul will write in Colossians 1.15, and I, I, nobody can say it better than God himself. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And, it is, and he is before all things and in him 
all things hold together. That's who's coming to Jerusalem today. And I think that we can all agree at this moment, Jesus deserves a little more than prophet from Nazareth. If I were to introduce you to my friend Mary Beth, the several times that she has come here to this church, but never once told you, yes, she's my mother, that would be strange. No, it would be actually completely insensitive and rude. <clears throat> and she would probably never come back. It would be insulting, is what it would be, for what that woman deserves. But see, Jesus' triumphal entry isn't really that triumphant, is it? Is it? At least in the ways that we tend to think about it. I mean, some people recognize him, but most do not. Some people know that he is special, but in a prophet from Nazareth kind of way. Yet Jesus comes anyway. And that's really the power of the story. Jesus comes anyway. He comes to us as our humble king, as we are. To die for a bunch of people who don't really know who he is, who can't get his name right, who don't really know how to give him the recognition he truly deserves. But never once did Jesus think about stopping the show, demanding that you get this right before I come to you. Instead, the show goes on. And why does the show go on? Because this great king loves to show us mercy. He loves to show us mercy. And here's why this is important for you this morning. Jesus doesn't wait for you to apologize. You may not even have thought that you needed to apologize before you came here this morning. He doesn't wait for you to clean yourself up. You might have thought you did pretty good this week. He doesn't even wait for you to get your theology right so that you know, cognitively speaking, what it means for him to be king. Instead, he does the unthinkable as a king. He comes to you as you are, which also means that he comes to you even in your most vulnerable and shameful moments. And why does he do that? What king bothers to get into the mess of your life? Who lowers himself to that? He does it because you understanding and seeing that Jesus' determination to come to you as you are in your condition is the only thing that's actually going to get you to fall at his knees and at his feet. Let me say that again. The reason he is coming to you in these moments and in this way is that when you see him coming by, it's the only thing that will get you to fall on your knees at his feet. Remember the dinner that Jesus had with the Pharisee Simon and all the wealthy to do people in a few, few chapters back. Right, this was a dinner um, that clearly Jesus had got done talking and all the, the, the movers and shakers of town uh, were, were, were invited by Simon to come to his house and have this dinner. And, and, and who, who shows up? A prostitute. A prostitute shows up and immediately makes the room uncomfortable. And she takes her alabaster jar of ointment, which was her livelihood. Right? That perfume smell is what would actually set her apart. 
So, right, we didn't have certain street corners in this day and age. We, we, we didn't have the uh, ability to separate ourselves or set ourselves apart by what we dressed like. We had to do it by what we smelled like. So that as you were going to the market, as you were going from here to there, and you passed by and you caught a whiff of a certain aroma, you knew what profession this person was in. Covered up in all. This was her livelihood. This was what set her apart. But what does she do in the story? As she comes in, she pours it all out at the feet of Jesus, doesn't she? And she's saying, essentially, this is not my identity or my worth, my significance. Jesus is, and I give my life over to you, is what she is saying. I don't know what this means for me. I'm losing all the community I had, which wasn't much to begin with. But I'm trusting you. This is where I'm going. I'm going all in on you. In other words, she is saying, this doesn't set me apart anymore. Jesus does as someone who is now forgiven. But do you remember what she did first when she entered that room? She wept. She wept. And why did she weep? Because she was shown mercy. She knew that she had a debt that could not be paid. And Jesus looked at her and said, I will pay that for you. I will pay that so that you can go free because I come to you as you are. I have come to show you mercy. I come to you in all your guilt and your hurts and sadness and pain and suffering. I come to you when you don't even know who I am. And I do this because you understanding and seeing that Jesus' determination to come to you as you are in your condition and pick one this morning. In your greed this week, in your lust, in your hatred, in your pride, in your self-righteousness. He comes to all of those. And he says, the reason I do this is because this is the only way that you will, will believe that what I'm saying is true. But it's also the only reason that you will fall on your knees at my feet as I come riding by to enter Jerusalem one last time to die for you. Why? Because that's what this humble king does. He loves to show us mercy. When we look at this story and we see Jesus off in the distance, just beyond the city walls, this king on a donkey approaching the city gates, coming to us, we need to see this as the beginning of one huge and beautiful act of mercy towards us. Where others, perhaps in their pride, have turned away from you and said, you are not worth it to me. Jesus is looking at you and saying, you are worth it to me. Who has ever loved you this way? Who has ever extended mercy on you to this level? You do not know what I have come to do for you, but I come to do it anyway because I am your king. And that's what kingship means. I love to show mercy. This is the first point, and and maybe it's just where we need to stop because I can't get past this. But for the sake of having somewhat of an outline, we will move on. But Jesus, our humble king, comes to us as we are because he loves to show mercy. The next thing, Jesus comes to us to bring us his peace. Looking for the Messiah in this day and age was a complicated thing. And it came with enormous expectations. Most expected something big. They did. They expected some type of uh, military takeover, perhaps. 
in which the long-awaited Messiah, Jesus, would, would rule like King David. And the only way that they could really imagine this is with a Messiah riding in with guns blazing. I happened to watch Young Guns um, a little while ago. And just a quick pan of the crowd, I can tell there's a lot of Emilio Estevez fans in here. <laughs> so I'll keep this short. But, you know, that movie is, and I'm going right to the end of it, it is so over the top. And it's so beautiful, though. We've got we to gotta, we gotta describe it. The movie ends with Emilio Estevez playing Billy the Kid on the second floor of this building and all of his men. And they are surrounded by law enforcement. There's no way out. And so each one of Emilio, well, Billy the Kid's men, go out one at a time to their death. And, 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 and you're recognizing there's no way out. How, how is Billy going to escape this? And so what does he do? He has his men put him in a trunk, throws him out the second story window, bounces off the roof, onto the lawn. All of the law enforcement have no idea what is going on. And in their surprise, of course, Billy the Kid jumps out of that case and guns are blazing. And as soon as he was there, he's gone. Right? This at least is how Hollywood dresses it up. And we wouldn't have it any other way. We love this stuff. But I would simply just offer that as a contrast. As a contrast to what is going on in this text this morning. As Jesus goes out, not with guns blazing, but riding on a donkey. With somewhat, somewhat, I would say pathetic, that might be too strong. But certainly inadequate shouts of Hosanna to the son of David. Because if this is the massive revolutionary takeover that God has promised to come, I don't see it. First, let's look at this donkey for a second. What is this all about? Why is he choosing to ride in on this? And I love what one scholar commentary says, is that a man's transportation reveals much about him. So true. What is, take that in for a second. What, what, does, a, what does a donkey tell us about, about Jesus? Jesus is fully aware of what he is doing in selecting this ride. Let's make no mistake about that. He's the one person in this story that knows what's going on. He is showing himself to be the Messiah. Let's make no mistake about that. That he is who Zechariah 9.9 and all the Old Testament, for that matter, has been talking about. Who will bring salvation and peace to this land. Donkeys were a poor man's ride. Those who were externally poor, but donkeys were also used as a sign of peace. So if you came riding up to a city on a donkey, as opposed to, for say, you know, say a stallion or a war horse, right, your message was, I don't come here for war. I come here for peace. I come here to bring peace. And so Jesus' transportation is saying two things to us this morning. What I bring to you is not a kingdom of external wealth, of external treasures, of even power in the way that you think about power. All I have to give you is myself. That's the first thing. The second thing the donkey is telling us is I come as your king to bring you my peace. I come to bring you my peace. This is what Jesus is doing. He's not here to receive anything. I think that's the, that, that is so powerful. You know, again, we, we've just gotten talking about what it is he really deserves, but he's not here for that. He's here to give you something. He's here to give you peace, peace between you and God. Peace between you and your neighbor. Peace between you and your spouse. Peace between you and your enemies even. But we can go further. We can say that he's come here to give you what what you're not even aware of that you need more than anything. Which is not just peace between him and God himself. But peace 
between you and death so that you could be with your king forever. That's what he's come to do. And he's come to do this in the most unthinkable way of giving himself for you. This is where the crowds are confused. Beginning in verse 8, we read that the people were taking their cloaks and spreading them out on the road before him, giving Jesus the royal treatment. They then cut palm branches, as we uh, had um, displayed here earlier, and they lay them down on the road. And in verse 9, they shout, Hosanna to the son of David. And, and, and the, the palm branch it has tons of significance uh, on, 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 on Jesus' kingship and um, Maybe that's next year's sermon on Palm Sunday. But for sure, these are, there, there is a sense of, of cheer and excitement as we read this. But something is wrong. Something is wrong. Jesus is coming as our king to bring peace. But how is he coming to do this? See, the shouts of Hosanna, which means may God save us, sounds good to our modern ears. But scholars tell us that this is also nothing more than a nationalistic cry. Something like God bless America. You ever said that? Right? God bless America. Which means that Hosanna can be the humble prayer of a Christian. It really can. But it also can be the proud word of someone who's convinced that God is on their side. So this begs the question. Do the crowds really know who this man on a donkey is? What he has come to do? But more specifically, how he has come to do it? You have to wonder if anyone is thinking, can we at least get this guy a horse? (laughs) I mean, how is he going to take out the Romans on this donkey? What about a trumpet? Can we get a trumpet? Right? Caesar's got lots of trumpets. Somebody's got to be thinking this in the sense that, like, I am not putting all my eggs in the basket of this man on a donkey. But that's not what's on Jesus's mind, is it? He doesn't come riding in guns blazing. He has a different way. A different way in mind that will bring ultimate lasting, wipe every tear from their eyes type of peace. And the scandal of it all is how. He's a king that gives himself up for his people. And so in that sense, it would make sense that we don't understand completely what is happening here. But let me stop here at this point for a second and ask you this question. Many of us this morning, we want the war horse. And what I mean by that is we want the quick, definitive, Jesus, come and fix this. We don't want the donkey, the humility. We, we want diseases gone from this world. We are tired of the freak accidents that take the people we love. We're tired of coming to worship and reading of hundreds of people being killed because of bombs. Tired of that. We want the war horse. We, we're tired of looking in the news and seeing the, the, the aftermath of chemical weapons used on people. Yeah, you better believe I want that. I want the war horse. I want it now. But that's not what our king does. And this should cause us to pause. It doesn't mean it satisfies us, but it should cause us to pause. Is Jesus giving us what we want? Or as he comes in, is he actually giving us something we need? Part of having a king at all, something us Americans are not good at really understanding, is that you have to submit yourself to him. 
Which means you have to submit yourself to his ways. It means that you trust him even when you think there seems to be a better way over here. And that's hard. For some of us right now, wanting the quick fix, trusting Jesus as king is the greatest challenge you face. Ultimately, though, Easter resolves all that. It really does. Easter resolves all that. When the tomb is empty, we know that he was right. Vindication is his, but we're not there yet. And we'll get there next week, but then Monday will come around and we'll still be, where are you? When are you going to fix this? See, I, some of you, and this is me, I have a hard time reconciling Jesus, the king who has come to bring peace on one hand with the carnage of Syria this week on the other. And I agree with you. That is hard. But the one thing I will leave you with as we move on and close this out is as we look at Matthew 21 and as we look at what's to come, the one thing that we cannot say about this king is that he does not care. That he, that he does not care. And not only does he not care, but what we can't say is that he doesn't have solutions for this. That he doesn't come riding in just for his own recognition to prove that he is who he says that he is and then that he can go home. The one thing we can't say is that we care more. And that's the hard part. Because we can't fix this. We, we can't fix the bombings and the deaths any more than anybody else in this world. And so what we begin to see is that Jesus' answer here, though confusing at first, is the real solution to everything that we need. And it begins on this march as he rides in on this donkey. And what I might add as we leave here. As we watch this, this is an invitation for you to trust him this Easter. And maybe that's something that you're doing afresh. I'm not sure. But what begins to become clear is that Jesus, as he marches to the place where where he will soon die, he isn't thinking about himself. He isn't thinking about the recognition that he deserves. He isn't thinking about what he should or shouldn't receive as your true king. What he is thinking about and what he does come and ride, come writing and saying is, do you know who I am? I'm your humble king who comes to show you mercy and to bring you peace. He's not thinking about what he deserves. He's thinking about what you deserve. And he's thinking about what I really deserve. <clears throat> and that is a far worse thing than anything that my life could turn out to become. And that is, what we deserve is the wrath of God because of the sin in our life that separates us from him for all eternity. And he has come to fix this. Why? Because that's what good kings do. That's what they do. In other words, our problems are bigger than Syria. They're bigger than our pride. But thank the Lord Jesus that our solution is bigger than those things. That's this Palm Sunday. Jesus will die to his pride, to what he truly deserves. And he'll do this to bring untold humiliation upon himself so that the recognition and the significance and the beauty that he would receive will be yours. That's what Palm Sunday is. Jesus will die to his pride, to what he truly deserves 
So that true peace to his creation, a type of peace that can only be described in making all things new, will come about. His not turning his back on us as he enters these city gates is both his cry of tears to the, to the atrocities of past, present, and future, what men and women will do to each other and do, do to his creation. These are both his tears, but they are also his solution. I will pay for that. Don't miss this. I will take that debt because that's what good kings do. Isaiah 2, 4, he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. This is what, what Jesus' kingship is coming to bring about. This is what it is that, that Jesus has in his mind as he rides in. A humble king who comes to show you mercy and to bring you his peace. So let me leave you with this question. As you line those streets this morning and as you see Jesus riding in and coming by. Where are you? What are you thinking? How do you line those streets this morning? Are you afraid? Are you skeptical? Are you convinced? Are you unconvinced? Are you unsure? Do you know that it's okay to ask those types of questions? Do you know that it is okay to be all of those things this morning as he comes riding by? Because it is. That you can look at this man on a donkey and say, this is it? This is our answer? This is where our peace is going to come from? This is how all things are going to be made new? This is how I will have peace with God? This is it? Do you know that's okay this morning to ask? And it's okay because this king can take it. And that's actually why he keeps writing because he's coming to take it. He's coming to take all of our questions and all of our doubts and all of our uncertainties. And what you and I have to decide in this moment is, will you trust him? Will you trust him? And I think that's a wonderful place to leave us as we look ahead to Easter this week. Will you trust this king who comes to you to give you mercy and to bring his peace? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for what you have shown us about yourself um, in, in the ways of the peace that you bring and the mercy that you love to show, but just the mere fact that you keep riding in. And with all of our uncertainty and all of our confusion and all of our hurts and all of our pain, you are okay with that. You're okay with those questions as we look at you and as you ride on by. We pray then that your soon death would take all of that with you. And that we would see Easter resurrection in the coming week as the vindication of your, of your name and of your kingship for what you have promised to come do this day. To bring us your peace and to show mercy on us. We ask this all in your son's name. Amen.